Garrison and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM and 94.5 FM. We are back with another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. Well, it's been about two straight weeks of nothing but NFL talk. Uh, Just the way it's been. Of course, the Kansas City Chiefs heading to their fourth Super Bowl in five years. But for today, uh, we're going to pivot, at least for the opening segment, because about two minutes ago... We got the full schedule release for the Big 12, the new Big 12, I should say, and some breaking news for Kansas Jayhawk fans, as it was announced about 10 minutes ago, the Jayhawks will play their first two home games of the year at Children's Mercy Park in KCK, and their four conference home games at Arrowhead Stadium while their stadium is undergoing um, renovation for the 2024 campaign. This was always, I think, the expected angle that KU was going to take. Um, The stadium's in rubble right now, and I think there was an idea floated around that Kansas could play their first two home games, Lindenwood and UNLV, I believe it is, with one side of the bleachers, placed up there, then I guess you could piece together a stadium, but it would have looked horrible. It would have been terrible to attend. So what this does is provides a cleaner, uh, more scenic look for Kansas football home games in 2024. Now, the full schedule release came out for everybody in the Big 12. We'll give the rundown for both KU and K-State here quickly. So Kansas will open up the season against Lindenwood, and that will be, I believe, on August 31st. So August 31st, Kansas will take on Lindenwood. That game will be at Children's Mercy Park in KCK. Then they will travel to Champaign and take on Illinois, that home-and-home they scheduled. They got the Fighting Illini last year in Lawrence. That game was a blowout. They will get them on the road this year. Then the last game at Children's Mercy Park will be against UNLV, who they just faced in a bowl game. Uh, They'll get them on September 14th. Then they will open up Big 12 play on the road against West Virginia in Morgantown. Then open up play at Arrowhead Stadium on September 28th. They will host TCU on that day. They'll then travel, take on a new Big 12 foe in Arizona State. So they'll head down to Tempe on October 5th. Then they'll get their first bye week. There's two bye weeks on the 2024 schedule, I believe, for everybody. So Kansas will have that bye week on October 12th. They will resume play by taking on Houston. That game as well will be at Arrowhead Stadium on October 19th. And how about this? They'll travel to Manhattan to take on Kansas State on October 26th. That's the earliest these teams have played in a long, long time. They no longer considering that a rivalry week game where you put it at the end of the schedule. Even last year, it wasn't the last game of the season for KU or K-State. KU got Cincinnati after that game, and K-State got Iowa State at home in the Snowmageddon game. So they'll get Kansas State, then have another bye week on November 2nd. So they'll have two bye weeks in a span of four weeks. Uh, Some fans may not like that, but I'm sure for the coaches, they'll like having that rest before the back half of their schedule 
in November. After that bye week, they'll come back to Arrowhead Stadium, take on Iowa State on November 9th. Then they will travel to Provo, Utah, and play in that uh, gauntlet of a stadium. Uh, A really tough atmosphere to go down to and play the Cougars there. They'll get them on November 16th, and they'll wrap up their homestand, or at least their home series of the season at Arrowhead Stadium against Deion Sanders in Colorado. That'll be on November 23rd, and they'll end their season in Waco against the Baylor Bears on November 30th. As for the Kansas State Wildcats, they open up the season same day, August 31st, as every other team does in the Big 12. They'll get UT Martin in Manhattan, and then A brutal stretch of games. Four straight weeks of tough opponents for Kansas State. They will go to Tulane and take on uh, them on September 7th. So first road game of the year against uh, a mid-major perennial powerhouse, you could say. Uh, Willie Fritz over there. Tulane beat Kansas State in Manhattan in the last go-round. Now they have to travel to Tulane and play them just two weeks into the season. After that, they open up Big 12 play against one of the title contenders in the conference in Arizona. They're going to get them in Manhattan. Then on September 21st, they will travel to Provo to take on BYU. Before their bye week on October 5th, they then host the runner-up in the Big 12 last year, Oklahoma State. So Tulane, Arizona, BYU, and Oklahoma State all before Kansas State's bye week, which would be in week, uh, what is that, six? Yeah, I think week six of the season, or maybe that's week five. It would be week six, actually. So Kansas State will take on Oklahoma State right before their bye week. When they come back, back back-to-back road games, they'll have to go to Boulder, take on Deion Sanders in Colorado, and then go to Morgantown to take on a West Virginia team that won nine games the year before. They'll come back home on the 26th to host Kansas, then hit the road once again November 2nd. They will take on Houston before hitting their bye week on November 9th, their second bye week, that is. And the final three games on their schedule, they will host Arizona State, they will host Cincinnati, and then they will end their season with a rivalry game Farmageddon against Iowa State in Ames should be very, very cold, I'd imagine, on that day. The Big 12 Championship will take place on December 7th in Arlington. So those are the the schedules for KU and Kansas State. Of course, we mentioned to open up the show, Kansas playing their home games this year, split between Children's Mercy Park, where Sporting KC plays. They'll play their first two home games of the year, Lindenwood and UNLV in Children's Mercy Park, and their four conference home games, they will take on uh, TCU, Colorado, Iowa State, and uh, Houston, I believe, are the four opponents they will get at Arrowhead Stadium in 2024. And then by the time 2025 rolls around, Kansas will have a brand-new shiny stadium to play in, which front office sports reports that KU is spending $448 million to renovate their own stadium. Uh, here's where I stand real real quickly on uh, the idea of playing uh, your games away from Lawrence, uh, who that benefits, who it doesn't benefit. Look, I think that for Kansas, entering a year like this, this is the highest expectation they've had in 15 to 20 years. 
and you need to have good support. And you also want your games to look lively on TV. I don't think it's fair to the players or the coaches if they would have had to play games in rubble, basically, in Lawrence. I mean, that wouldn't have benefited anybody, in my opinion. Uh, The good thing for Kansas is that Lawrence is not a long drive from Children's Mercy Park. It's not a long drive from Arrowhead Stadium. They are very close to the metro area and the Legends area, uh, if you're familiar with it in KCK. Uh, This made a lot of sense from the get-go. The only thing that does suck is it's a bit of a trek for college students, whereas college students used to be able to tailgate, uh, go to bars before the game, and walk over to Memorial Stadium. Now it's more of a journey. Now you do have to load up the car. You have to drive to a place that's 30 to 40 minutes away. You tailgate there and go into the game. But here's the thing. Kansas with this team needs to have, I I think, a, a better look than just playing in front of a demolished stadium. They need to have the look of playing in an NFL stadium. They need to look pretty good playing in, even though a soccer stadium doesn't hold many people in capacity, it'll probably look great. We've seen soccer games there plenty of times. It's a great stadium. It's a shiny stadium. It's a beautiful stadium. And to host a football game there, it's good for Children's Mercy Park, and it's good for Kansas football. So it's smart, though, to put those first two games in Children's Mercy Park because that's a bye game against Lindenwood and then a non-conference foe in UNLV. And even though you just played them in a bowl game, who knows how good UNLV is going to look uh, next season because their starting quarterback already transferred away. So who knows how they're going to rebuild. But you can kind of expect the early attendance. You know, to I think it would have been a close to full Memorial Stadium if they decided not to renovate. But Children's Mercy Park is going to be packed. It's not going to be a lot of people. But you don't need an overwhelming home environment for your first two games. You do need it uh, for the conference games you're going to have against Colorado, Iowa State, Houston, and TCU. And that's why Arrowhead Stadium is going to be the place that Kansas calls home for 2024 in Big 12 play. They're not going to fill 83,000 seats. I'd imagine the lower bowl is going to be filled and then Parts in the upper t- or the upper deck are going to be filled. But for the most part, it's just an easy spot to play. It's not far from Lawrence. I'm sure there will be some good ticket deals for students. It's just going to be a little bit different. But it's a good change for Kansas when you have to go under renovation because at the end of the day, uh, the brand-new stadium is what you're hoping puts Kansas on the national map. Uh, you built up a football program. NIL is thriving. And you've got a brand-new, shiny stadium to entice people with. Even though Kansas got college game day, big noon kickoff, and the hill is you know, a very uh, gorgeous view when you set up the, the broadcasting booth down there, the, the college game day, big noon kickoff, whatever you want to say, it's a good look for TV. What's not a good look is the eyesore of a stadium that Memorial Stadium was. It was not very pretty to look at when you had a big-time game. It was historic. It's an old stadium, but you looked around the Big 12 and all the the great new stadiums, what they looked like. I mean, even when Kansas went to Cincinnati and they went to Houston over the last two years, those were two schools that had much better-looking stadiums than Memorial Stadium. I mean, Kansas was bottom of the barrel. I had went to a handful of games this year, and, yeah, you get the nostalgic feel of it because it's been the exact same for 
God knows how long. Five decades, six decades, not much has been done. They've added a new scoreboard, took away the track. Having a new stadium, though, is a great look. And I think Kansas wanted to make this process as seamless as possible. You know, instead of postponing, you know, the complete renovation of the stadium where you have to then play two games at the beginning of the year, you have to pause renovation, in fact, add seats to that spot, just go play elsewhere. And then all of 2024, and for the most part, 2025, you are renovating that thing. And you are making it ready to go by week one, 2025, where you're hoping Kansas is coming off a great year in 2024. You're going to introduce this new stadium to a team that is on the up and up. Maybe not to the pinnacle yet, but it's the perfect segue, the perfect transition. It's going to be cool to see a football game being played in Children's Mercy Park. I think it'll be fun for Kansas fans to travel to Arrowhead Stadium to watch a football game there. Not going to be as congested as Chiefs games are because it's not going to be 83,000 people. Can't say the same for Children's Mercy Park, but it's a different view. It's a different experience. And I think this team, considering that the expectation is winning 9 to 10 games, competing for a Big 12 title, you want it to look clean. I think that's the best way to put it. I think even playing two home games in Rubble and Lawrence would have been a bad look. It's a bad thing for the players, for the coaches. You're not getting much support. There's half a built stadium there to play in front of. It would have been ugly. A clean look is the best way to describe it to getting two games at Children's Mercy Park and four games at Arrowhead Stadium. I think it's good for Kansas. Can't wait to see what it looks like on TV and in person, for that matter. I'm sure it's going to be quite a fun time for Kansas in 2024, and especially for their fans that will make the trips out to KCK and KCMO to watch that football team in the coming months. Uh, Jake, your thoughts and your takeaways. I know that you just came over from the Border Patrol, and this broke, I think, right after you guys ended. So you have... Two new destinations where Kansas football is going to be playing in 2024. Is this a good thing for the program to have you know games that are still 30 to 40 minutes away from campus, but it's really the best option you can have when the alternative was, well, we'll just play in front of a half-built stadium in Lawrence. And I don't think that ever was a real option. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that was. Um, for me, it's uh, the logistics of trying to – to try to put on an event with, uh, I mean, just think of security, concessions, parking. I just don't think that was a real real possibility. And I think that's kind of, this has been in the works for a bit of time now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think pretty much probably before the season even ended, they were they were talking about this with, with the officials at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, you know, it's it, it makes sense. It, it's the most, there's really... You're, you are so limited with the location and the the venues around the location that there, you don't have any really other options. Um, mm-hmm. It is interesting. I, I think in terms of playing in Sporting Park, that will be, um, that'll be interesting because that will only hold somewhere between eighteen and 20,000 Yeah, people. not much. Um, but then again, you know, I, how well attended are those non-con games anyways at Memorial mm-hmm. Stadium? Because they're usually about half full. And it, one comes over like, uh, what is it, Labor Day? Right. So Labor Day weekend. And- so you're maybe putting 30000 That's mm-hmm. being nice probably in, in Memorial Stadium for those non-con games. So, you know, it, it, it has to make sense financially for the athletic department as well. 
Um, but I mean, I think it's it's cool. I think those games, especially against Colorado and against Iowa State, oh, I yeah. think those games are going to be um, now towards a home field advantage. I don't think you're going to have a, a, a giant home field mm-hmm. advantage. I mean, it's it's definitely going to be deterred with. Iowa State fans getting a chance to come down to Arrowhead and, mm-hmm. and watch their team play yeah. in, in, inside Arrowhead Stadium. They have before. They used to have Farmageddon, you know, where, where they played Kansas State in Arrowhead, and that was always really well attended from the Iowa State fans. So, I mean, it, it'll be I mean, it'll be a cool thing for KU and their program to be playing in an NFL stadium. I think it'll be great for the alumni base mm-hmm. in Kansas City. Um you know, maybe maybe there, there, you know, people who attended that university who don't make the trek to Lawrence to go watch their football team play. You know, I think a big part of it too is how how the program's going right now. Yeah, right. And and so coming off that, but great season for Coach Leipold and, and the Jayhawks. I think that that gives them momentum for for people that that you know that are in the Kansas City area that that would you know m- most likely not be interested in football because. Look, the team was not relevant for so long. They mm-hmm. were. I mean, why would you want to go spend your Saturday afternoon and pay money to watch a losing football team? Yeah. People don't do that, but that's not the case right now. So I think that's it's great for for. I mean, it's great because you don't. I mean, because this is what you got. Yeah, and so it's pretty good to get this. Yeah, this is. And, and so you know, I don't. I really logistically, I don't think they had any other options. So works out great for Kansas. Works out great for the Kansas City. You know, alumni base for the Jayhawks, and and it'll be fun. You know, just for me being a Kansas Cityan and being a fan of the Jayhawks to have an opportunity to go out there and and see those games. It'll be, you know, it's not obviously it's not permanent, and hopefully that they they fill the stadium and they get a good home home field advantage against some of those teams. You know, like Houston and the other one. What was TCU? TCU, Colorado, Houston, right. and Iowa State. So I mean that's that's great. I mean that's I I think that'll be a, a, a unique one off for the Jayhawks. So you know, and it's probably pretty cool being a college football player and playing in an NFL yeah. stadium, being in NFL locker rooms. You know, that's probably uh, it's probably a cool experience for those kids. So I, I don't see anything. I mean, uh, other than I, I mean I I don't know what the the financials look like. In this situation, but obviously, um, you know that's not a big concern of mine, anyways. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, I mean, that would be I, if I'm looking at it from from all aspects and all angles. I think that might be, you know, you you miss the, I guess, for the city of Lawrence. You know, the the people that patron, you know, patronize. They go to, you know, whether it be Mass Street and hit those mm-hmm. bars and hit those, you know, those those businesses probably take a hit. I mean, that's something that you, you don't really think about because that brings a lot of revenue into the city of Lawrence that they'll probably miss out on. But, you know, now we're talking about things that are outside of, of the actual games and outside of the, yeah. the program. So, you know, I just, when you're looking at it from, you know, zooming out and looking at it from a wider lens like that, those are the things that, that would be negatives on, on, a, uh, on this situation. So, but, you know, look, it, it's all for a greater good. It's all... It's all to put a, a state-of-the-art stadium to support the, the school and support this team who, look, it wasn't even, I, I think, 10 years ago when they had a track around that damn field. You know, a, a D1 football team, I think they were the last football team to have 
a, a track around their yeah. football field. And I get it. Uh, Kansas relays are a big deal. I understand. You know, I'm uh, I'm pretty familiar with running in the community. And and look, that's one of the probably top three or four biggest track meets in mm-hmm. the country. Um, so it was a big deal, and and it did host those those Kansas relays. Um, but look, football is king. Football is your biggest revenue generator for the university, and you know. And, and so I guess my point being is, look at where they're going, and look where they where they just were ten years ago. Yeah. They had a track around the freaking stadium, mm-hmm. you know, around the football field. So you know, and now to the point being that it's for the greater good. You're putting in, uh, you know. You're spending a, a large sum of money to upgrade your facilities, to upgrade your program. Because as you mentioned, they were at the bottom of the barrel in terms of facilities. Mm-hmm. And as the Big 12 is expanding, you know, Kansas needs to be moving right along with it. Yeah, I mean, th- this is, I think, that the perfect time for everything to happen. Um, because when you can go to Lawrence two years from now and there will be this giant new stadium that looks great where it's at, and you got a football team that's thriving, that's something that never could have been envisioned 10 years ago. I mean, the idea of getting a new stadium was floated around a couple of times, and it was, oh, where'd they go play? But it never materialized in anything. It was always just hopeful, wishful thinking. And also, if KU was still losing 10, 11 games every single year, you think they could do something like this? No, there wouldn't have been the financial support of building a new stadium. It's like, why am I going to put money into a team that's not going anywhere? Now you're coming off your best season in 15 years, and you've got even higher expectations for 2024. It's a cool deal for Kansas. And all the schedule is out now for Big 12 teams, KUK State, so you can go check that out. But know that Kansas football will not be playing in Lawrence for their home games in 2024. They'll be at Children's Mercy Park for their first two home games, and then Arrowhead Stadium for all four of their conference home games. So... Cool deal for the Jayhawks and their fans in the upcoming football year. All right, we'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, I want to dive into that NFC Championship game a little bit and if I agree or disagree with the decisions that Dan Campbell made in a Lions loss. That's next on ESPN Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City, I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside producer Jake Gutierrez. We spent a lot of time yesterday just recapping what we saw at M&T Bank Stadium between the Chiefs and the Ravens, and didn't you really get the chance to go over the NFC title game that happened in the Bay Area between the San Francisco 49ers and the Detroit Lions. And for about, let's go with 35 minutes of game time, you know, I'd say... A little bit into the third quarter, the Lions were dominating that game. And they approached a spot in the third quarter where they led by 14, and they faced a fourth and two from the Niners' 30-yard line. Everybody knew in that moment that if the Lions kicked the field goal, you are asking Brock Purdy to overcome a 17-point deficit with little time to go. I mean, yes, you get a quarter and a half, but remember the numbers Kyle Shanahan had when trailing by just seven or more entering the fourth quarter. He had won his first game in 30 tries against the Packers in the divisional round. He was 1-30 in going into that game. And Dan Campbell, who's been aggressive all season long, that's been the Lions' identity. 
you know, go for it on your side of the field, opponent's side, fourth and goal, fourth and ten, doesn't matter. They're going for it. It's like Madden. You never punted Madden. Yeah, I mean, if they, it's almost guaranteed. It doesn't matter down in distance. If they're in between the 40s, they're yes. going for it, period. And I think in that moment, right, it was more of a emotional draining thing for the Niners if they couldn't stop the Lions. If you don't stop the Lions there, when you get your hopes up of, man, we get the ball back here, I mean, the Lions probably win the game on that drive. However, I'd argue, they kick the field goal and they go by three scores. I could make a case that they win the game on that drive. But Dan Campbell goes for it. It is not converted. The Niners go down and score minutes later. Now, it was a little bit of luck involved there. The ball that bounced off the face mask of a Lions cornerback into the hands of Brandon Ayuk, and they score on third and goal. So now it's a one-possession game. Right after that, the Lions fumble the ball from their own 30, two plays into that drive. Niners get the ball, they go down and score, tie game. Later on in the fourth quarter, after the Niners have taken the lead, so you're talking 20 unanswered points right there, the Lions are driving. They are into San Francisco territory, very similar situation. It's at the Niners 30-35. It's another fourth and two, fourth and three. And Dan Campbell likes to go for it instead of kick the game-tying field goal with, I believe, five or six minutes to go. They go for it. It is not converted. Niners get the ball. They go down and score. They go up 10. Now we're talking 27 unanswered points. Lions get the ball, drive down the field. They face a... Third and goal, I believe it was. And with all their timeouts remaining and about a minute approaching left in the game, they hand it off to David Montgomery. Stonewalled the line. Then Dan Campbell calls a timeout. So now you have taken away the opportunity to kick off. Now you could score a touchdown or you kick the field goal there. But you go into that spot down by seven or three, one score game. You have all three of your timeouts. But Dan Campbell utilizes one. So now he's got two. The two-minute warning's already passed. You're forced to onside kick. Low percentage chance of recovering it. Now the Lions score. They go for it on fourth and goal, which is like, might as well at this point. You're going to need a miracle to just get into field goal range. So don't kick the field goal at this point. And they convert. So it's 34-31. to 31, And they have to go onside it. And they kick the onside, Niners recover, Niners win, go to the Super Bowl. And I'm just sitting there wondering, what are Lions fans thinking about that? I mean, it was their identity, right? All year long, fourth down meant nothing to them. We saw that in week one at Arrowhead Stadium. The Lions were not scared to go forward on fourth down, whether it was on the Chiefs' side of the field or it was on the Lions' side of the field. So you lived and died by what made you successful, I would argue. However, I feel like it takes a great coach to know when you can pull back or resist your tendencies in moments like that. We're not playing in a Week 15 Sunday night football game where you can really make a statement on national TV. You're playing for the Super Bowl. And even though it's cool... To convert on fourth and two, fourth and three, everybody say how gutsy you are, the stones you have to make a call like that. 
there's a fine line between being aggressive and then also just being stupid with your play calling, your decision making. If Dan Campbell approached a fourth and two and it would have been a 55, 56-yard field goal, I say go for it. That's a hard percentage to make a 55, 56-yard field goal in a spot like that. But it would have been less than 50. We're talking a very makeable field goal in that spot. Now, I say that full well knowing Tyler Bass shanked a 44-yarder the week before against Kansas City. But when you have a two-score lead and you've got the opportunity to make it a three-score, it's all about points in that moment. And we had a discussion in the Dolphins' aftermath when the Chiefs played the Dolphins in the wild card round, how the Chiefs were not good in the red zone, right? They could not punch it in. They only did twice, I believe, in the game. Other times they were kicking field goals. I think Butker had, what was it, six field goals, five, six field goals. In games like that, when you look at your opponent and say, What's more likely here, them somehow getting back into a shootout with me or them not being able to overcome a three- or four-score deficit? The Chiefs made their decision. We're taking points in spots like this. It's cold. It's freezing. They're not moving the ball. We'll just keep adding on points. Eventually, that becomes too much. And that's where I look at the Lions and go, Brock Purdy is not a quarterback where if you put him up against a three-score deficit and you don't play a factor in giving him good yardage or turnovers giving him good yardage, he's not going to be able to do it. There are few quarterbacks that can overcome a three-score deficit with that little time remaining. Hell, I don't even believe Lamar Jackson could overcome a three-score deficit in a quarter and a half. He's shown in his career that even overcoming a 10-point deficit is really hard to do. And Detroit, I think, tried to be this big ego football team of we do things our way, we're not changing it. Now, Dan Campbell said he didn't regret you know, going for it, and I, I think, you know what, stick to your guns. Don't say you regret something because then it's even worse that you know you made the wrong decision. But in that moment, Jake, I'm thinking the Lions are sitting at home today not prepping for a Super Bowl because of that first opportunity. Because when they decided to go for it and – kept the door open for the Niners, that's when I said the Niners are probably going to tie or win this game. Because it was 24-10, to 10, the Niners had just gotten a field goal, right? And a lot of time had burned off. Think about that. If 10 minutes have gone by and you haven't gained any ground, you're running out of opportunities at that point. So when the Niners got that stop, I go, that's going to be the moment. That is the play where I think it all is going to circle back to because the Niners are going to tie this game. There's too much momentum on that side. Then when they got the touchdown, it was like, it's only a matter of time. Of course, David, Mount- or not David Montgomery, it was Jameer Gibbs. Of course, Gibbs fumbles the football in a spot like that. Of course, Josh Reynolds drops the football because that is not going to be rewarded when you make dumb decisions like that. That felt very Brandon Staley to me. Of this is who we are, we have to be aggressive, we have to go for the throat now. But is that who they are? Because think about this. And, and here's, like, he, first off, it, it is aggressive to get points, too. Just to get points, it's aggressive. <laughs> but end of end of the half, right? Yeah. End of the first half, fourth and three on San Francisco's two. Yep. Seven seconds left. And you kick a field goal. All right, bravo! It, but if that's who you are, then why didn't you? Why didn't you go for it? It's fourth and three. Why didn't you go for it? You went for the points instead. 
Right? It's yeah. it's fourth and three, seven seconds left. Mm-hmm. The, the clock has stopped. Like, they kicked a field goal in that spot, yep. which, you know, we wanted we wanted a three-possession lead going into the halftime. So why all of a sudden, right, why does that change? Because it did. It changed. Because he had that opportunity yep. to go up three possessions, and he went for it. So, it, like, yes, that's who they are. That's their philosophy. It's Dan Gamble, you know, everybody call it, you know, Fort, yeah. the, the gunslinger mentality. But look, the evidence is you had a chance to go up three possessions before halftime, and you took it. Mm-hmm. So why does that change? Well, I mean, because it's fourth and three, and if that's like you know, if you are all analytics and you're all in, you know, you why don't you why don't you go up twenty one? Yeah. I mean, I, I and that's that's what it kind of it's like we overanalyze it all. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, I think analytics are valuable. I think they're important. But, and that's a big but, this is football. Mm. This is not baseball. Look, analytics has revolutionized the game of baseball. Well, why is that? Because there's 162 games. So the law of averages play out. Mm -hmm. You have 17 games in the NFL, a far less sample size. And so to, to to, to just go by a chart is not... Look, it's it's not very rational. Yeah, to to not take in consideration it's the NFC Championship. You know, w- the opportunity to play in the Super Bowl is on the line. It's that's a that's a little bit bigger than Week Ten against the Bears. Mm-hmm. Like, and so you have to take all that in consideration. Yeah, and it's like the, he didn't. He didn't. He tied this identity to himself. He got attached to it and just said, this is what we... Instead of saying, wait, hold on. We win this game. We're going to the Super Bowl yeah. for the first time in this franchise's history. I'm going to take the three points. I'm mm-hmm. going to take the three-score score lead. You know? And it's like, because there is an instance you did that. You did that less than less than an hour ago. You did it. Yeah. And so why... I mean, and so it's like it, overthinking it got him in trouble. Now, look. Bravo! The, the Lions had a great season. I think there there's a lot of a, a bright future in Detroit. But man, you had the Niners on the ropes, and you let them back in it, and they 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 cut your throat for it, and they just unraveled. Mm-hmm. Twenty seven unanswered points immediately. That is that is an all time just debacle. That mm-hmm. is an all time turnaround, right? And and so you know, I, I guess. What do you take from it? You learn from here. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. In the moment, he said, I would do it again. That's easy to say. Now, if he's in this moment again. I think he's taking three. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. And that's my point. It's like, let this be a learning lesson. Mm-hmm. Because if you are ever in this situation, like, don't be stubborn and do the right thing. Because th- that, like, it, it's, it's a... It's it's basically they flinched and they yeah. had no like the the experience of Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers outweighed the Lions and we saw that on the opposite side of of the conferences with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes cool calm experienced and the Ravens Lamar Jackson and and Munkin the offensive coordinator for the Ravens six carries for your running backs 
Like, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like these like they, 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 they haven't been in these big moments, so they completely go clutch. They just they, 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 they freeze. They go outside of, of what got them there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and granted, I get it. I get it. What got them there is being risk takers. But also what got you there is is being aggressive, which I'm telling you, being aggressive is getting points. Yeah. That's being aggressive too. Like I know fourth and three and you go for it, that is super aggressive. But it's also super aggressive just to pile on the points. Yeah. Right? And and so it's like it it, it it's it's sad for Lions fans and the reality is, for Chiefs fans, we got a tougher opponent, and for the world, they got a better football game. Yeah, the Niners Chiefs is a better football game than the Chiefs Lions, in my opinion. But they're two storied franchises as well. I mean, that's we don't really want to talk about it outside of Kansas City, but this is going to be one of the most watched Super Bowls ever. Rematch, it's villains to villains, right. yeah. Rematch from nineteen, and it's the rest like, of the NFL hates it, but. The average NFL viewer that doesn't have any ties, these teams they'll tune it's in because game. it's a better game. It's a better game. I do wonder if, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, like if the Chiefs faced a very similar situation where they were up 24 to 10 on Baltimore and they decided to go for it, failed, they lose in the exact same way as the Ravens do. I almost think in the long run I could stomach it a little bit more because the Chiefs have won two Super Bowls, it was the aggression of we've been here before, we know what to do. The fact Dan Campbell had the fate of a dark and depressing franchise in his hands in that moment to just go away from intelligent football, really. I don't know how you could sit there and defend this other than that's who they are. Anytime you can turn a two-score game into a three-score game, you do it late in the third quarter. You know, even if it's seven or eight minutes to go, you just keep piling points. Because here's my other point. The Lions were not struggling to move the damn football. If that was only the second time they had made it into Niners territory, surely it's a different score, of course. But that I can respect a little bit more because you're not getting there as often, and you don't want to settle for three. We see teams go for it a lot because they don't want to waste a great drive with just three or perhaps missing that field goal. The Lions were averaging eight, nine, ten yards a play. They were running the ball well. They were getting guys open in the middle of the field. The Niners couldn't stop anything. And to just give life in that moment to the Niners when you have been the most depressing franchise ever, uh, ever, I would say. And you are a quarter and a half away from the Super Bowl. Not only that, you were dominating that game. To be reckless in that moment, it's unforgivable. And here's what I will say. I do not believe the Lions get back to that point. It, it just does not have that feel. They are young. They are talented. I don't think with the way the NFC is going to be next year, they are going to get back to that spot. And Dan Campbell said that in the post game. He said in the aftermath that this could have been our only shot. It's hard to top what we did this year. They won 14 games regular and postseason. They won their division for the first time in 30-plus years. Like, they were in uncharted territory. And to blow it like that, I'm going to go as far to say more so than the Falcons game, 28-3 to to Tom Brady. 
That may be the worst loss I've ever seen because of the fan base that had been tortured for what they had embodied, for what they were about to do. I mean, nobody from 1990 to 2024 would have taken you seriously and saying the Lions are in the Super Bowl. Nobody would have. You could have stretched three, four decades. Everybody would have laughed in your face. Hell, go back to the 70s and 80s for all I care. They would have laughed in your face if you would have said the Lions are going to play in a Super Bowl. More so than I think if you would have said the Browns are going to be in a Super Bowl because the Browns have had more success recently than the Lions. This could come back to forever haunt and ruin the career of Dan Campbell because here's what's going to happen. They come back next year. I don't think they win 12 games. I don't think they get to the NFC Championship game. Then the shine and the love and the honeymoon phase of Dan Campbell wears off. Then the resentment goes back to, look what he did to us. He prevented us from a Super Bowl. Then you get two years removed from that, and you haven't gotten to an NFC title game. Then the resentment sets into, I want this guy gone. I want this guy fired. He's not the answer, and he's going to have to forever look back to that game, that decision in the third quarter. I think I I could say, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you've got a different opinion, I think considering the teams that were involved, what was at stake, that is the most gut-wrenching loss I've seen for a fan base. More than Atlanta, 28-3. More than, um, let's see, was that Houston and Buffalo, the 30-point blown game? That wasn't the Super Bowl on the line, though. So... You're looking at the Chiefs. Yeah, 30 I don't, I don't 10. know if that's worse than than Frank Reich's comeback on the Oilers. I I don't know. I mean, I I witnessed that live in person, and that was in one of the more just exasperating yeah. events I've ever seen live. And uh, Chiefs fans have thirty eight to ten, but that was a wild card round. I, I think that was gut wrenching in its own. But I think everybody in the NFL is looking at this loss for the Lions and going, I don't know how you recover from that. I really don't. This is worse than any bill. This is worse than the Bills' thirteen second game, because they had a Super Bowl in their grasp. There were probably Lions fans getting champagne out because they were about to celebrate what they thought would never happen in their lifetime, and a coach's aggressiveness prevented that. If he just takes the points in two of those scenarios, they're playing in the Super Bowl. If he takes it on the first scenario, they go up twenty seven. To 10. I think that game's over. I don't think Brock Purdy goes back down the field and scores again, and then the Lions are just somehow stopped all the time. I think Jameer Gibbs' fumble happened because the momentum was drastically switching. Yeah, I mean, it, it is an epic collapse. It is an all-timer, but, I mean, when I'm thinking about it, with, in the Super Bowl to collapse like the way the Falcons did, I just, I mean, and look, the, the Frank Wright comeback was... In a wild card round. Yeah. But it was also 32 points. Yeah. I mean, that's almost double. Yeah. That, I mean, 32 points. I mean, like that's what I'm saying. Like, watching that, you know, I think I was like 12 years old, and it was like, you know, this game's terrible, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, my dad, I think my dad's like, hey, you got to get back in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, something's you gotta, happening. Yeah, something's happening. You know, and but it's like, that was, that was that was hard to witness that because it just like the momentum and it was it's it's very similar because it's mm-hmm. it's a momentum ball that gets rolling 
and you just watch it, and it's slowly happening, and you're just like, you, you, you're, you, okay, this is just going to happen. Yeah. They are just participating in this collapse. Now, I will say, being that they're in the NFC, it's going to be a lot easier for them to get back to that spot. I mean, l- look at the NFC. Like, sure, uh, Brock Purdy, if he goes in there and beats the Chiefs, I mean, you got you got to give him all the credit in the world. Um, and Jordan Love, his, his, his second half. But it's like, who scares you in the NFC? Like, who really, like, is, like, you know, it, 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 like, what quarterbacks are, are you know, are a Burrow or, or mm-hmm. Allen or a Lamar Jackson or a Mahomes or, you know, now C.J. Stroud or, you know, just you, Herbert and yep. Harbaugh. It's like, it's a gauntlet. And so you look at the NFC, it's like it, it, it is lucky they are there because their chances to getting back to that spot are certainly, in my opinion, a lot higher. Like, you know, and, and so I don't know. Do they ever get back to that spot? Chances are probably not, but. Just because it's so damn hard to do. Yeah, it's just it, it just doesn't happen all that often. I mean, you know, before Mahomes got to town, it's like. The Chiefs hadn't been to an AFC championship game since 1993. You know, that was the only time I'd ever witnessed it in my life. You know, being on this planet for 30 years, that was the only time. Well, think about, too, like, now I know this is kind of a bad comparison, but, like, the Cowboys went through their three Super Bowl decade in the 90s, lost to Carolina, never got close again, still haven't been close like, that's just the NFL. There will probably come a time, which is kind of scary to think about, the Chiefs will lose in a playoff game, and they could go a period of times where it's just they're not going to be back in an AFC title game or a Super Bowl. The Patriots, right, won three in five years in the early years of Brady's career, then win a decade without winning a Super Bowl again. That It's just the NFL. Right now what the Chiefs are experiencing, it is a – a totally different scenario. The Lions, to have that first opportunity and it to slip away like that. And I, I just, I don't think that this is one of those spots where you go, we're guaranteed, we'll, we'll be back, we'll be back. I mean, the Jets thought so too. Um, the Bengals thought immediately after going to the Super Bowl they were going to be there again. They got to an AFC title game. You know, Buffalo thought multiple times. It's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. That's where I think the Lions are at right now. I think this is just a, a gut wrenching loss. Maybe I'm over exaggerating with it being the worst loss I've ever seen. Oh, I mean, look, we're in the moment, and I, you, I, I can't speak for you. That that's what you saw. That's how you feel, and I, I respect that. But I. I to turn it on to the other side, it's like I feel that way for Lamar and the the Ravens. Like I don't know if they ever get back there. Mm-hmm. And to look at what like, I mean, that's that Sneed strip, and and just like you know the interception in the end zone. Like when they look at that, like man, that that's you ran the ball six times with your running backs the whole game, the whole game when you led the league in rushing. And we're not talking about being down by 20 points we have to throw. Yeah. We're talking about being down 10 points, and you're just refusing to run the ball, and that's what you do. It, they were – I mean, it's just – it's a funny thing, man. When these when these coaches and players get into these, you know, 
high pressured situations. I mean, it's that's why it's crazy to watch Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes doing what they're doing, and mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey too, for that matter. It's like they are, you know, they are. It's it's out of this world how good they are in those situations. Out of this world. It's just a DNA that you have. It is a DNA that you have, and I think in spots like Sunday, the ones that have the DNA usually prevail, and the ones that are new to it, it's things that happen to the Lions. I mean, even the Niners, who have been to three straight NFC championship games, it's a spot that they're comfortable with, and they didn't get rattled. They didn't go over the history of their record when trailing by seven or more double digits at halftime. They stayed pretty poised, and they let the Lions collapse right in front of them. I mean, I firmly believe that the Gibbs fumble, the Reynolds drop, twice Reynolds dropped it. It's all happening because they felt that momentum sh- the shifting, and it wasn't as easy anymore. It's easy to play well when everything is going your way. You're playing freely. It's not as scary. And unfortunately, the Lions aren't going to have a game to worry about now. It's the Niners that are going to be taking on Kansas City. And I just, I don't know how long that would take for me to get over it, but it is a it is a gut-wrenching thing, I feel like, to be a Lions fan. Not only today, but for the next couple months. I don't know how you recover from this. Maybe not ever. For franchises that have been so cursed, this was a tough way to go out. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Jake Gutierrez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 a.m. You take it easy, Kansas City. Treat me so mean,